Hello, late night listeners. Brian here. And instead of our usual Patreon uh, bumper or whatever we put here, I don't listen to this podcast. I wanted to instead encourage you to go to vote.org and make sure that your voter registration is up to date. The election coming up here in the USA is very, very, very important. And if you are legally eligible to do so, you must vote in this election. If you go to vote.org, you can check your status, make sure uh, everything's up to date, they have the right address, whatever you need to make sure that you're ready to vote, you can do it there. Vote.org. Please, please, please. And and listen, also, don't just register. Fucking vote. This is a big, big deal this year. And if you are legally allowed to do so, you got to cast a vote. Now, officially as a podcast, we do not have a political stance, but may I just personally, as Brian Weck, suggest that you vote for the candidate who, for example, believes in science and is not a complete monster. Just some advice in terms of who to vote for. Vote.org. Go there to check your registration status and please be a participant in what, for now, is a democracy. How's first grade going? It is actually pretty great, uh, shockingly. I am super, super impressed with uh, with Audrey's school. They're like absolutely crushing it. She does like four hours of face to face interaction a day, which is bananas. Yeah, and she's generally concentrating and and doing it. Yeah, it's it's going great. What about your kids' stuff? Harrison is doing really well. Um, similarly, I am absolutely in awe of the teachers that are able and willing to take this on. It takes so much creativity and obviously like so much energy to hold the attention of 20 first graders on a freaking Zoom call. (laughs) That being said, they take breaks and then like he'll just go off and play blocks and forget to come back. (laughs) Oh yeah, we've done that. Yeah, yeah. And his brother appears on the screen. You know, I have a four-year-old also. So he just pops in and out, screams random poop jokes um, to the first grade class and then sort of (laughs) runs away. Sort of like the gonzo maneuver. Yeah, we, we've been occasionally calling Zoom school screaming practice because it's, I'm sure you're getting this. It's like, I don't want to say any teacher's names in, in Audrey's case, but it's like, teacher, teacher, teacher. And then there's sobbing because she didn't get called on. Right. And we're like, honey, you move the computer into the closet and now no one can see you. So maybe they didn't call on you because you're actually like completely invisible. What what is amazing to me though is how well they've learned the mute and unmute button. Oh yeah. I mean, the first week it was chaos and now it's just like they are better than my colleagues at magazines and newspapers. Like they know click unclick, like they've got their piece to say and they can do it. It's uh it's really beautiful. Yeah. By the quote unquote end of this, I feel like, you know, how every single time we have to get on a call, we got to be like, okay, three, two, or I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, I got to check my input, blah, blah, blah. Like children are just going to automatically know they'll be ready. They don't have to fuck with it and they will be more powerful than all of us. All podcasts will be run by eight-year-olds. You know, they'll be producing things all over the world. I would actually be into that, I think. Like, you know, they're like, hey, you guys like Go-Go Squeeze Apple Juice? We're proud to partner today with Go-Go Squeeze Apple Juice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Audrey can now, like, log in to the computer, like, get access to the screen, unlock it, basically, navigate to the website, log in, 
click the Zoom link, get on, mute herself, and start class. It's 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 wild. I just wonder how this plays out when they are, you know, in their 30s. Like what will <laughs> Yeah. what, you know, crazy skills will they then have because of all of this uh all the the way that this is going to play out over the next couple of years. Probably clinical depression. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Kate you're a science writer and I think have a pretty informed sense of what's going on. So I was hopeful briefly that schools would reopen a little bit, but now it seems like things are trending back up, right? So are you hopeful at all that schools are going to open this year? I think it depends where we're talking about. Um, I think there's a good chance of schools in L.A. opening in the spring. I was hopeful for January, but I kind of tempered that and and looked at um, like March. So maybe a full year from when things close down, which is sort of depressing to think about. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I think it can be done, especially in the K through two world, which is where both you, Brian, and I live (laughs) in schooling. Oh, yes, we do. 10-year-olds and up, it's going to be really hard. But I think that sort of like that sweet spot of the little kids, it's first of all, the most important to have in-person schooling. And second of all, probably, you know, the least risky to do in-person schooling with that age group. So, you know, I I am still hopeful that it's going to happen this year. I think LAUSD has been telegraphing that it might not, but I know other districts in California are looking at ways to do that. Yeah, totally. I was hopeful, briefly hopeful, that we would get a couple weeks in the fall in LA, Uh, but that's not going to happen now, I don't think. I've been checking like the state COVID website. Have you been on this a lot? Oh, yes. Yes, I would imagine. (laughs) Looking at all the data. (laughs) <laughs> yep, looking at all the data. And of course, the moment we reopen, then a month later or whatever, we'll close because right. that's the way it's going to go. Which is incredibly hard for families and you know schedules and little kids. Yeah. You have two working parents in your house and... Yes. Like it. <laughs> and two kids. Uh, we outsource the childcare to um, the fact that we're at a cabin where we can just open the doors and say, go run, children. Go frolic. That's so great. <laughs> and then they sit at the door and whine and cry. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Oh, they're like cats. Yes. They are basically like cats with uh, opposable thumbs. Okay. I'm so tempted to introduce ourselves here, but it's so early. But I feel like context is important. Should I do it, Layton? Your show. It's our show, first of all. <laughs> I just, I, I was afraid for a moment with that long silence that we were repeating the, um, oh, do you want to tell me to go fuck myself first oh, moment no. <laughs> from a few episodes ago? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Fucking do it. Great. All right, everyone, this is Layton. Hi, that's me. The voice you just heard is Brian, and this is Layton Night. Uh, Layton Night with Brian Wecht. Thank you. Which is a podcast, and it's the one that you're listening to. Mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? Hey, I am Kate Gammon. I'm a science writer based in California. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. So the the context I wanted to give here is that Kate and I have known each other for quite a long time now. Oh, I think we were over a decade. Yes, we're definitely over a decade. So the context is that Kate's husband, can I say his name? I know he'd love it. Of course, of course he wants me to say his name. <laughs> Kate's husband, Evan, and I did comedy together in Boston uh, in the mid-2000s. So from about 2004 to 2007, I was in Boston. 
And Evan and I worked together at the Improv Asylum, maybe in a couple other things elsewhere too. And I remember meeting Kate when you and Evan first started dating, like, yep. which I guess would have been 2007? Seven. And I think it was like date number three. You were a very uh, early friend that I met of Evan's uh, comedy troupe, <laughs> comedy world. Yeah, I remember... We went out for a drink at what used to be called Goody Glover's in the North right. End in Boston. I forget. It's called something else now. It's probably closed anyway. But I remember sitting, you know, at a table with you and Evan. And we were talking about physics. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember Princeton and like all that stuff. I guess. Well, actually, I guess I hadn't been at Princeton yet. Uh, but I'm sure we, I'm sure I knew that you went there because I, at that point I knew I was going there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Kate and I have known each other for, I guess, 13 years now, which is wild shit yeah (laughs) (laughs) i also remember you and evan being one of the first like close friends i had that moved to la and was like it's great out here what is everyone fucking talking about with all this la hate it rules yeah i mean there was a lot of la hate especially in boston i mean well let's okay backing up like People in Boston hate everything, including people in Boston. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Evan lived there for five years and had just, just begun to make like real friends outside of comedy. And then he moved and people were like, what the fuck? Oh, I mean, if you move like to Arlington or whatever, people are like, what the fuck are you doing? Moving out of Somerville. What's wrong with you, man? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it turns out California is, uh, Southern California is uh, pretty great. Uh, you know, moved into Santa Monica into a 500 square foot, you know, beach white, <laughs> little beach bungalow and uh, started telling everyone in Boston about how great it was. And I feel like maybe after your move to Princeton, then Europe, then, you know, London, maybe we were a little bit of what brought you to L.A., Hundred percent. Are you yes, kidding me? Yes. yes. No. No. That 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 is a hundred percent true, because you know the YouTube business stuff was was a big driver. But having you guys in LA was part of what made it like, oh, we actually have like very dear friends that we can see right there. You know, it wow. wasn't like we were moving someplace where we didn't know anyone, or we were like, well, maybe we'll we have people we like, maybe. But you guys were, you know essentially the closest friends we had here, I think. And it was a big, big driver. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. This is beautiful. I love this. (laughs) This is the sort of Tuesday morning tenderness I just really strive to get every week. It's that wholesome content. I'm saying this like I'm sarcastic. I'm just, I'm NyQuil hungover and I woke up 20 minutes ago. So hello, (laughs) listeners. This is me. I ate a bunch of crab rangoons at 2 a.m. last night. I know who I am. <laughs> oh, tell me what that feels like. I have not had a night like that in oh, yeah. approximately seven years. <laughs> it's very it, it's as depressing as it sounds. <laughs> Slept like a like a rock though. That NyQuil sleep is uh that's some good stuff. When used for medicinal purposes only, I do not encourage the recreational use of NyQuil, etc. I remember I, I hate starting sentences like this, but I'm going to. Leighton, when I was your age. Uh, <laughs> I'm signing off. Goodbye. <laughs> Kate, just so you know, Leighton is younger than we are. I, I, I gather that. And I'm also younger than you are. Well, I was going to say, and you are <laughs> a bit younger than I am. So, Kate, guess how old Leighton is. From what, from hearing, basically the only thing you know about her is that she had a bunch of NyQuil last night and ate... <laughs> Some crab rangoons at 2 a.m. And you know her voice. 
I know her voice. I know her face oh. from the promo uh, photos. Um, okay. First of all, one question. What neighborhood do you live in? Oh, good. You would live in LA, I assume. But then I'm going to ask, what, are, are you on the east side? Yeah, I'm in. Okay. Um, you are 29. Uh, I'm 23. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> 29 seems to be the median for people guessing, which I'm very flattered by. Is that a good number or a bad number? 29. I like when people think that I'm older than I am. And I think it was very generous of you to assume considering my nighttime habits. I'm 29. God, I hope I'm not still doing that shit when I'm 29. (laughs) I Um, was doing that shit when I was 29. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like a before you have kids thing, even if you're with someone. Like that, that is just a I don't have kids yet thing. Uh, or I shouldn't say yet. I don't have kids. But yeah, once you have a child, it's like, you know, that that pretty much goes out the window right away and probably never comes back. Maybe once they go to college or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm not there yet or anywhere close to it. Guess they're going to find out. Yeah, I'll see. Oh, here's what I want to say. The median guess is 29. You have people guessing you're like 50. <laughs> because there's two sides of that spectrum. Wow. You're getting me on semantics here. Um, <laughs> listen, you know me. I dropped out of art school. I don't know shit. It's the, the, the average thing that people guess is 29. 29 is a really respectable guess. Yes. Because it, it really cuts through, you know, you can be like a fully formed human at 23. You can also be a fully formed human at 29 and still, you know, stay up late and eat a bunch of crab rangoon. Yeah. All of that can be true. Thank you. Yeah, totally. I we contain multitudes. multitudes. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. We both went for it at the same time. Kate, tell me about 23-year-old Kate. I don't think we've actually ever discussed this lately with me. Like, when I was your age, what was I doing? And I want to know the same thing about Kate. So, Kate, what, at 23, what was your life? Okay. I graduated college at 22. I moved to India for a volunteer teaching job because I had this boyfriend. His father lived in Delhi, and he set me up with this volunteer job. I did not know that this job was in the in a village in the middle of absolute nowhere. Um, I had no language support, no like uh, health support. I was living in a boarding house with like twenty five children <laughs> um, from age four through age eighteen, and a host family. So I was the uh, only Caucasian in in a, I don't know. 500 mile radius. I stuck out like a sore thumb yeah. everywhere that I went. And on weekends, I get on the local train and I travel for about 11 hours, always second class because second class had two double bunk beds instead of first class, which only had one. So if you're a single woman traveling alone, you never want to book first class because it's you and a guy usually. And that can be lead to weird situations. But with three guys... <laughs> Um, you're, you're in a a safer zone. Right. So then I would travel either to Mumbai or to Delhi and visit with my boyfriend and his father had like five servants. Um, so it was just like this complete whiplash of like, I'm living in this boarding house, like helping these kids and, and teaching. And then I get on the, on the train and the next morning I'm at a house where people are like serving me on a platter and they've like hired an extra servant just to walk the dog. It, it was a total mind-bending experience. And after like six months of that, I joined the Peace Corps and I went to Bulgaria. So that's what I was doing when I was 23. I was living out in the world, like having really um, strange uh, independent travel growth, you know, experiences. 
Wow. That is. That's wild. Much more than I was doing. <laughs> Wait, but Brian, did you have long hair at 23? Because those pictures are bonkers and great. Let's see, at 23, I cut my hair when I was 22. And coincidentally, that's about the time I had a serious girlfriend too. Huh. What an odd coincidence. <laughs> So, okay, okay. So I graduated college, right? And then at least kind of very broad brush strokes did sort of the same thing you did where I moved to the middle of nowhere to teach. Hmm. I moved to Kent, Connecticut, which is definitely not, you know, a place where I was the only Caucasian. It, it is one of the whitest places, you know, it gets Connecticut, right? It's a very, very white, not all Connecticut is white, but this part was pretty white. Uh, I was a boarding school and I taught math for a year. And I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere, especially because my girlfriend, so similar to you, I had to travel to see my girlfriend. My girlfriend was in San Diego. And one time I went out there and she was like, okay, you're out here. It's time to cut that hair, which was down to my waist uh, at that point. And I was like, okay, fine. And I cut it. So right on the cusp of 22, 23 was the year I, I cut my hair. I have so many questions. Did she actually cut your hair? Is this like a Samson and Delilah thing? Or did you go to a salon with her? <laughs> I went to a salon with her while she uh, sat there and watched. Yeah, it was in San Diego. And uh, she just sat there and she, she was by no means like super controlling or anything, but basically was just like, look, we have to cut this hair. I think she liked me. I mean, the reason I think this is because she told me she liked me in spite of my hair. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> how how much did you get cut off? Was it like a buzz, like a little um, chin length bob? Like <laughs> I went from you know down to right above my waist to I don't know maybe the hair was like an inch long, a couple inches long at the at the longest, so substantial. Wow! And then I came back to teach because it was on a break from high school, and all the kids were like, "Whoa, Mister Wet, you cut your hair." Uh, and I actually saved my very long ponytail in a Ziploc bag for years. <laughs> this is for the Brian Wecht Museum. Where is it now? And what happened to it? Yeah. I definitely don't have it anymore. I, I absolutely threw it out. Brian, you can't let that shit fall into the wrong hands. You can't. You just can't do it's that. If, if, some, if some weird shit starts happening to you, you know what happened. You can't just let your hair... You know how much... You don't even need that much for a ritual, you know? There's so much magic in that hair. Uh, well, yes, I get it. Believe me. I know I'm full of magic. I, I, I understand that. I don't know why I threw it out. Maybe because it was weird and gross. That's probably the leading reason. But I kept it in a Ziploc bag for, I'd say, a couple years at least. And of course, everyone's like, oh, you got to donate it. But I was a 22-year-old guy, and I had no idea what I was doing with my hair. I didn't even cut or trim it for years. So no. it was just awful and completely undonatable. Aren't there also like very specific guidelines for like hair that you're donating, if I recall correctly? There are. I think it's not supposed to be colored. Like you have to like treat it in certain ways. Like there's a strict tight set of rules around donating hair. Yeah. yeah. And I had obeyed, I'm sure none of them. Yeah. So I guess at 23, I was teaching at boarding school at Kent, Connecticut, hoping that I would move in the near future to be with my girlfriend in San Diego and this is a whole long story. And then I ended up, basically, I applied to physics grad school in San Diego. So I'd have a real good excuse to move there. And then we immediately broke up. And then I stayed in physics. <laughs> and there's so many parallels because after India and, you know, being long distance, I joined the Peace Corps. And so for two and a half years, I was in Eastern Europe 
He ended up moving back to New York for a magazine job. I applied to masters of science writing schools and ended up getting into MIT in Boston. And at the moment I moved back, we broke up. Like the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a thing, right? That this happens all the time where it's like it's this theoretical long distance thing, and you're like, okay, yeah, we can make this work. And you get in the same place and you're like, no, I don't think so. Right. And yeah. I think it's just a lot easier to get along with people long distance and, and to put your fears and, and hopes of the future kind of in the future and not in reality. Totally. Yeah. It, it sort of becomes this like simulacra of a person where like you don't have to deal with the actual minutia of being with the person. And then I think there's also the like, oh, this is long distance. It would be fucked up if I broke up with them during the long distance. But also if we met briefly during the long distance, that would also suck. Totally. So yeah, you just don't have very many good options there. No, and then when you do get together, there's just so much pressure to like yeah. be chill about everything. Yeah. Long distance relationships are not easy. Sometimes they work out great, but... Yeah, mad respect to people who are able to do it. Yeah, Rachel and I basically did it for a year when she was in New York and uh, I was in I was a postdoc at Harvard. Like I, I was... And, oh, actually, two years, because I was a postdoc at Michigan, and then a postdoc at Harvard after that. So we had essentially two years of long-distance marriage. We had been married for a couple of years at that point, and that was not fun. How did you do it? My schedule was pretty flexible. You know, as a theoretical physicist, I could kind of do it from wherever. From Harvard to, to New York was very easy. Like, you just drive, but it's still a five-hour drive and fucking shitty traffic. So I would just come back pretty much every weekend, because she had a nine-to-five in New York. She wasn't available to, you know, drive up and back. She did occasionally because we love Boston and it's where we met and had a lot of friends there. But mostly I'd go to New York. Michigan to New York was a lot harder. But there I would, every couple of weeks, I would fly back for a few days. And often I would try to couple it with some, like, I had collaborators nearby. I had one in Columbia, I had one in Boston. And I would try to make it a part work trip, part relationship trip. But it wasn't fun. The other thing is that I was filming NSP video. This was right after NSP started too. So NSP started <laughs> and a year later I moved to Ann Arbor. Uh, and so I'd have to come back, film Ninja Sex Party videos and maintain my marriage. <laughs> it was a lot to, to deal with. so much dichotomy there. But I think that, you know, again, we have kind of a parallel universe because when Evan and I started dating, I moved to New York after meeting him in Boston and he stayed in Boston and I worked at ABC News. Yeah. So I had that nine to five. All right. I was fully, you know, doing digital news for ABC at their headquarters. And I would either get on the Fung Law bus on Friday afternoon at like 3 p.m. I just like yep. cut out. Sorry, bosses, if you uh, didn't know that. And, or he would take his <laughs> he would take his white Audi convertible and drive down. Um, ah, I remember that car <laughs> to New York, and we would just have we would have a great time. He his schedule like yours was very flexible, so he would come for four yeah. or five days at a time. Or I would you know, and I still have very fond memories of the Fungwa bus. I took so many buses in Peace Corps in Eastern Europe that I was really good at making bus friends. So I often like by the time I'd roll off in Boston, I would have like five like best friends from that six-hour bus ride. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, Brian, that era, like what era of NSP songs was that for you? It's pretty early. So, But I have a clear memory of coming back from Michigan to film If We Were Gay. Uh, wow. Let's see, what else? Probably Sex Training was in there. 
a lot of it we filmed at friends' apartments. If we were gay, I remember clearly because I, I remember being in my apartment in Michigan and taking an old pair of jeans and cutting them off to make super short jean shorts. Of course, iconic. Yeah, I think that actually, that was one of the first videos, like right after I moved, I had this idea, being stupid, that I would be like, oh yeah, I'll just drive from Ann Arbor to Brooklyn like every weekend. That's a 10-hour drive. Oh, man. And... I did not do it every weekend. I did it like three <laughs> times. And then most of the time would end up flying. And that was like, maybe I'd fly back once a month and I'd drive once every several months. But that drive sucks. Well, first of all, you have to go through Ohio, which is just an enormous thumbs down in general. Um, but like the, uh, it was just just a, not a fun drive. Pennsylvania is a very boring state to drive through, uh, it turns out. Yeah, sorry, Pennsylvania. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, look, there's a lot of great stuff in Pennsylvania. Like? Uh, why? Wait, why would you put me on the spot like that? <laughs> uh, Philadelphia. The Liberty Bell. The, the Liberty Bell. The Metropolitan Bakery in Philadelphia is very nice. Hershey uh, Park is a place that's there. I went as a child and liked it. Same. The Cathedral of Learning at Pitt is pretty cool. Have you seen that, Kate? No, but I like the idea of a Cathedral of Learning. Do you know the Tim Burton Batman movie? Yes. You remember this, at the end, there's like a climactic scene in like a church tower? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. So that building is basically the Cathedral of Learning at Pitt. It's this enormous Gothic thing on the Pitt campus, which is this, I think it's like admin and classes. You should Google huh. it because it's a super cool looking kind of deco Gothic. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm looking at it. And they use it for movies and stuff occasionally. But that's fun. Whoa, it's 42 stories. Yeah, it's huge. It's the tallest educational building in the Western Hemisphere, guys. <laughs> like, right. Can you imagine if you had the second tallest educational building in the Western Hemisphere, how that would feel? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that an awesome looking thing, right? It is. It is pretty awesome. Looks like it's also in Fallout 3. Yeah, it shows up all over the place. What else is in Pennsylvania? It's where the office was set, uh, although not filmed. Honestly, I do love Philly. Philly's a great city. There's some really good stuff there. Uh, good food. And we've done some fun NSP shows there, too. All right. Well, you did an acceptable backpedal on that. So good job. Congratulations. <laughs> but I should say none of that is along Route 80, which is where you have to drive through, which sucks. So mm. Route 80, actually, I know I've talked about this. That was the place I was driving with a friend of mine uh, a while back and stopped at a Burger King, and they had suggested soda pairings with menu items. <laughs> Right, of course. Was it like the Mountain Dew pairs really nicely with our chicken, you know, chicken fingers? Yes, 100%. That is exactly what it was. So at the soda machine, under each spigot, you know, each, is that, what's the right word? Each lever, I guess, by the sodas, it'd say, you know, you ordered a Whopper Junior. Why not try a Diet Pepsi or whatever? Like, it was exactly that explicit and maybe one of the stupidest things I've, I've seen in a long time. And it's stuck with me, you know, 10 plus years Wow. Later. The things we used to do for love. I mean, really, like these stories are about, you know, the distances that we would go for the people that we love and, and how odd it is that now we're all locked in our houses with the people we love, seeing them nonstop, yes. day in and day out with no travel and no break. <laughs> for us, or, or I think like in, in your case, Leighton, you're there by yourself, right? And it's really a mixed blessing no matter which side you're on, whether you're yeah. with people or not with people. Yeah, I'm, I'm vibing. Uh, I'm my own worst roommate. Uh, I forgot what human skin feels like. 
And my dog barks at me all the time. Hi. <laughs> Hello, bastard. What is it that you want? I mean, Leighton, honestly, I daydream about a life like that for like 36 hours of just like solo time yep. with a cool dog. I imagine your dog is really cute and fun and cool. And just like a quiet apartment, just hanging out. I'm fully grateful. I just, you know, sometimes I'm like, what is it like to touch another human skin? <laughs> the thing I keep thinking about is what our life would be like had we stayed in London, you know, when we've been in LA for five years now, and we'd be in a small flat somewhere with no yard and a little kid who needs to run around like that. I am very, very, very grateful that we moved somewhere where there's easily accessible outdoor space and we can just open our back door and let Audrey go nuts in the backyard. Like that's, that's something I think about all the time. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I can't imagine doing this in an apartment. No. And so many people are. Yeah. You have like an even more extreme version of that where you went up to a cabin near water. So the kids can just kind of like really go nuts outside, right? Yeah. We drove 20 hours straight in May so that we could uh, reach our cabin where we are on a tiny remote island surrounded by water. There's no cars, um, just boats. And the kids can just literally frolic in the woods when they want to um, go down on the beach, you know, go turn over rocks and find crabs and stuff. And, and uh, basically because we didn't want to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that was most exciting here, I follow Kate on Instagram and she posted a picture of a fried egg jelly. Right. Oh, your favorite. Yeah. My favorite and Audrey's favorite. And so Audrey looked at it and then we recorded a video and I texted it to Kate and Audrey asked some questions, and Kate answered the questions. And sometimes we were living uh, as vicarious naturalists through Kate, your your Instagram. It's the best. I mean, we uh, I we love talking to friends about all the species that we find. Um, I don't know if you know about iNaturalist, Brian. You probably do. I do. Okay. Yes. Oh, we do it all the time. Yeah. We are deep into iNaturalist, which for the audience members who may not be familiar, is an app where you can snap a photo of a, of a plant or animal and it uses both AI and human training to identify the species. So yesterday we found a snail eating beetle. I didn't even know there were beetles what? that eat snails. And we followed this oh thing my. as it like wandered through the leaves. You know, that's one of the other things about being up here is just finding stuff and having those moments of awe, especially with the kids, is my favorite thing. You're in the Pacific Northwest, right. broadly speaking, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Which is where you grew up. Yes. Both Evan and I um, are from this area and we have deep roots here and his family's had a place here for many years. So it's a well-known uh, ecological zone for both of us, but it's, uh, it's fir trees and, um, you know, salty ocean, <laughs> rocky coastline, orca whales, that sort of stuff. It's so cool. Oh, how was the air by you guys? How, oh, how bad did it get? Oh, man. Okay. So we were kind of watching this slow motion car wreck coming northward. As it burned through like Oregon. Yeah, as basically. it burned through Oregon and the smoke was was drifting north and it hit Seattle and we're like, ah, we're so far remote. Like it's probably not going to come up here. And then bam, two weeks ago Friday, it just like hit us you know, Ugh. and it went from complete clear visibility to we could not see the end of our dock. We were wow. in Oof. a smoke cloud. Oh my God. And the AQI went to 300. I had never seen Fuck. numbers like that 
even in LA. Yeah, it didn't get that bad here. Yeah. At 300. Like it got into the, you know, do you use air now? Is that the? Yeah, the, exactly. Okay. Because there's that, what's the other one? The Purple Air? Purple Air. There's also Plume. There's all these companies. There's definitely a, a great story to be written on air quality monitoring companies because some of these have been working on perfecting their devices for years. But Air Now, I think, uses the government monitors and maybe it also uses the private ones that share their data. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's spiked to numbers that like, you know, people up here are just not used to bad air at all. Right. So, and then it parked there in the 200s for a week. And the problem is we're in a cabin in the woods and we don't have air purifiers and we're in a remote area where we can't get things delivered. So I did a bunch of Googling. I took the boat over and took the car into the nearest town and I bought a whole bunch of fans and a bunch of furnace filters and I duct taped the crap. Evan and I went around and we duct taped furnace filters to every fan possible and set them all on high. And that's how we got through the five days. And after three days, those filters were black. And that's what we were breathing. (sighs) And so we tried to keep the kids inside. It was a miserable week because we don't have an indoor plan up here. Like we don't have things that we can, you know, like, okay, let's play some Uno or whatever. But like, you know, that works for one day. It doesn't work for six days. It was a truly difficult time. And, um, you know, I was looking at all of these people trying different things. Like let's boil some sage and rosemary to improve our indoor air. Obviously, None of that is evidence-based. So we just um, ended up duct taping a bunch of furnace filters to fans and putting them all over the cabin in order to escape this air apocalypse that was going on. And I learned a lot about engineering, about airflow. Um, and I basically parked the kids in front of the fans for the next six days and, and let them yep. play video games, which actually my husband was extremely excited to play Mech Warrior with the four-year-old and seven-year-old for days on end. This was a a beautiful time for them in uh, father-son bonding. Um, But it was a really, really terrible time for the rest of us trying to just, you know, make it through without going outside for six days. Yeah. By the way, I think you and I might have even been texting about this or talking about it. This whole year is like fundamentally one science story after another. Totally. Right? It's just like science, 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 science. And I feel like you in particular and other science writers, you're so well equipped to just handle it. It's also, you're very good at taking a large swath of information and processing it into a digestible form. You know, it's your job. That's what you do. And uh, it's very interesting to talk to you about the air quality thing is great because, you know, you're going to look stuff up and then act based on the best available resources, all in a very data driven way. So this is so interesting to talk to you about this, uh, the air quality stuff in particular, because I haven't been doing a, like a lot of research and, you know, I just kind of monitor air quality in general, but hearing what you are doing is, uh, I feel like, oh, well, she'll know what to do best. That's her job, at least in some, uh, some capacity. Do you agree with that? Yeah, broadly speaking? Absolutely. I mean, okay. Going back to the, the science writer thing, like, this is our time to shine. Like as shitty and absolutely garbage fire as the world is right now, like I have been so heartened to see science writers on the front page of like every newspaper in the world. Because every newspaper. COVID yeah. is a science story. You know, it's a it's a health story. It's also a policy story and, and can be political, but it is at its heart 
a science story, air quality, environmental issues, the climate crisis. These are all science-based things. And we can talk about the evidence and, and wade through the different papers that are coming out and, and digest what the scientists are saying. I don't like to say translate at all. I like to say, you know, kind of um, yeah. contextualize because science writers are not a, a mouthpiece for scientists. Of course not. Yeah. We are there to add, to push back and add context and things like that. But when it comes to the air quality stuff, this is something I've been writing about and thinking about for years because um, right. especially raising children in LA, I'm very concerned about and, and paid attention to, um, you know, air quality monitoring and what can be done, what can't be done. Um, you know, what is, what is acceptable risk versus what is not. And so I was very well positioned when this happened to like, I started dispensing advice on Instagram basically immediately. And then interestingly enough, the New York Times came to me and said, hey, we want some pitches for this column we call scam or not, where we fact check wellness like trends. And I was like, ooh, 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 let me do indoor air. Let me do indoor air. (laughs) Yeah. My (laughs) magnetic filtration system or whatever. Negative ion filters, Himalayan salt lamps, um, indoor plants, essential oils. Like I said, boiling rosemary and sage on the stove. Like none of these are evidence-based, but here I am. I have the opportunity to call up, you know, some of the best indoor air engineers in the world and talk to them about why they don't work and what actually does work. And if you don't want to invest in an air purifier, how you can hack this together at home using duct tape and a filter. So look for that piece coming out soon. Oh, that's exciting. Oh, that's great. Okay. So here's the question that I really want to talk to you about. This is not why we had you on, by the way, but it, it, it has been occurring to me a lot. Talk to me about ozone pollution. Like, because the particle stuff, you know, you can put up a filter and that's going to filter particles out. Ozone is a lot smaller. So (laughs) what do you do about ozone pollution? Ozone's really good in the atmosphere and really not good in your homes. Um, It is an irritant that can uh, wreak havoc on your airways and the tiny little cilia that line your lungs and things like that. So air purifiers, I think, doesn't HEPA help with ozone also? I have done very little research on this. So this is part of the question is... I mean, it seems like I would guess no, just based on size. So my understanding of HEPA is, you know, it filters out. It's basically, you know, a mesh that lets some things in and keeps a bunch of stuff out. And ozone molecules are, I mean, they're not, you know, they're pretty, pretty small, I would imagine. I don't know the size, but I would be surprised, although I could very, very easily be wrong about this if the HEPA filters kept them out. No, I don't think they do. And in fact, a lot of like the air ionizers and stuff actually add ozone. Oh, really? To your home environment. And people tend to think that ozone smells clean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's kind of a psychological thing at work there. A very good question, which air purifiers can actually remove ozone from your home? That's my question, yes. Before, in the past, I checked air quality if there was a fire nearby. And I wouldn't generally check it much of the rest of the year. So my, my impression of this year is that the ozone pollution is markedly worse, but I can't tell if that's just because I'm checking air quality like literally all the fucking time now, or you know, maybe it was, it's always like this and there's seasonal variation, blah, 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 or it actually is worse this year because of whatever heat, you know, fire, I don't even know, but Do you have a sense of that? Is ozone pollution worse in LA this year or is that just me because I wasn't checking it before? I think both are probably true. I think it is worse. We're having warmer summers 
one way to look at the seasonal variation of like this summer was a very warm August, but it's actually probably the coolest August that we're going to see in the next hundred years. (laughs) Right. Yes. Summer temperatures are going up. That's one of the things that's going to happen in our region. And that will, by necessity, by the, the chemical things that are happening in the upper atmosphere will, you know, raise ozone levels yes. for on the ground. Yeah. I did not say that very clearly. But yes, both things are true. No, no. no but it made sense. People are both becoming way more aware of it. And I, I'm actually really interested to see like the psych and the sociology studies of like how people perceive air quality, because I think in LA, like we are becoming very, very aware, like people check it before they send their kids to school or like they use their quality as a decision of like, you know, whether they're going to play soccer on Saturday or not. And that isn't happening everywhere in the country, but I think it's coming. Public health people talk about air quality as the next big public health crisis. I mean, this was before COVID. So pandemics are absolutely the next public health crisis or the one that we're currently dealing with. But air quality, the tiny particulates can get into your bloodstream. They can get into your Mm -hmm. brain. It actually accelerates dementia in older people and accelerates neuronal loss Um, in little kids. Poor air results in smaller lung capacity, and they don't get that back. Like in their kids' formative years, this is why we ended up putting air purifiers in the kids' bedroom because we're like, well, they're asleep for 10 hours a day. At least we can give them, you know, super good air while that's happening. I did the same thing with Audrey. Actually, this was a couple of years ago when there were fires as soon as there was a whiff of something, we bought a little air purifier in her room. And we've slept with an air purifier in our room for years now. Yeah. Do you like consciously notice a difference? No. I do. I'm asthmatic though. So I feel like I'm the canary. Uh, when I start feeling like I can't breathe very well, I just uh, close the doors and sit. But I, I actually grew up with an air purifier. Once I was diagnosed with like allergies and asthma as a very nerdy uh, you know, the acne ridden teen lived growing up in Seattle. I would just sit in my, in my bedroom with the HEPA purifier on and, uh, read books. So you can tell my childhood was extremely exciting. That sounds like a party though. That sounds great. I don't know if you want to spoil anything for the piece, but the dumbest, uh, air filtration scam. Essential oils, because all they do is add VOCs, <laughs> volatile organic compounds to the air, and they can actually make it worse. But people are really hung up on scent. So scent, as you guys probably know, is very, very connected to memory. Mm-hmm. And companies have done a very good job of selling us the smell of clean. Pine saw, for example, you know, combining yep. something citrusy with something piney. We associate those smells with cleanliness, but in fact, cleanliness is the smell of nothing. Cleanliness is the absence of smell. Like, yep. you know, which color is the absence of color? But so we've been sort of messed up in our perception of what is clean. I mean, essential oils are like one of the biggest scams on the internet oh, anyway. Just hearing that phrase makes me furious. But there are people during these bad air days who were literally like, oh, I just put out some like rosemary oil and it's it's like cleaning the air. The other thing I think is really funny is like boiling the herbs on the stovetop. And I don't want to call out any friends, but I saw you. I saw you doing it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is that you would precipitate some of the heavy particles out by raising the humidity in your house. It doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, when I, when I talked to the air quality uh, scientists about it, they said that was some medieval shit. <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's true. It is. It is. We haven't really progressed past medieval shit in some of these, you know, some of these areas. Well, yeah, because if you can make the medieval shit look aesthetic and say a couple of multisyllabic words, people are like, yeah, that's legit. I'm not going to yeah. fact check this any further. Yeah. 
basically in the phenomenon of, especially in Southern California, scientists living here and having to put up with all the woo-woo bullshit that seems especially endemic to, you know, LA and that SoCal kind of life. Probably the person I hear talk the most about this is Kate, you're and my mutual friend, Kara, Kara Santa Maria. Oh, of course. She's amazing. She's incredible. And she's on the Skeptics Guide where this is part of their, you know, their deal. We had Jay from the Skeptics Guide on uh, a few months ago. And she will occasionally say, yeah, you know, I've got another friend who did some crystal thing or whatever. So what is your experience of being a data-driven science person living in what to some extent is like an epicenter for nonsense? Totally. Um, I also experience it through the new parent lens. There's so much woo-woo when it comes to parenting. Things like the amber necklace that people put on their babies, which is supposed to stop teething pain because your body heat heats up the amber elements and it then puts an analgesic in the child's jaw. I mean, none of this makes any sense. What? Yes. People put choke hazard necklaces on their babies all over West LA. I use it as like a sign of like, you know what? We are probably not going to be really good friends. And that sounds really mean. Yeah. I don't want to be around someone. I'm just going to be mad at the whole time. Right. And and that leads to like the anti-vax things. And there's that whole world that we inhabit. But when it comes to some of these sort of lesser wellness things, I guess if it's not actively harming anyone and they're not trying to sell me something (laughs) scammy, I sort of just like agree to disagree. Yeah. I get really, really mad when wellness hawk purveyors are trying to hawk things to people who are less fortunate or, you know, preying on the weak and powerless. That is what rankles me and makes me full of anger. And then I just retreat to my room with my HEPA filter and read books. Do you feel like, I remember having a conversation with someone who was in in publishing who ran, and I can't remember what magazine it was. It was some magazine whose demographic was primarily women. And I remember asking her, I said, it seems like, and she was a very science-minded person. I said, it seems like a lot of the pseudoscience stuff targets women and women's health and stuff like that. And she immediately pushed back on that and said, yes, but women are also very, very much more in tune with their kind of bodies and health than men are. So she was arguing it was kind of a, you know, it was a double-sided thing that it's, I might have also just been completely wrong, but especially around all the pregnancy and child rearing kind of stuff, which of course should not be a primarily female thing, but ends up being in many cases. My impression was that the pseudoscientific stuff particularly targets women, but her counter to that was, yeah, but women also kind of know more about themselves than men do anyway. So I wonder what your take on that is. I would actually push back on both of those. And I would say that in the history of science and medicine, women's pain and women's issues have been systematically ignored over the years. I mean, there are very scientific studies that show that, you know, women's pain in the eyes of doctors is ranked as less important and less um, painful than than men's pain. And black women's pain is ranked as even less important. Yeah, I remember seeing stuff about this recently. Yeah. And so if you look at it in a broad context, I think that wellness sprung up out of the dearth of doctors and the mainstream medical community paying attention to women. It left this big hole for people that want to feel well, that want to feel heard, that want their aches and pains and their issues to be taken very seriously. And out of that lack came all of these hucksters. And in a lot of ways, wellness does make people feel better because they are heard. Sure. 
Yeah, and they're doing something. They're doing something active. Right. I mean, these are these are all actions you can take that, you know, like you said, they smell good or whatever. It's like a thing that you can put your finger on and says, I'm doing this, right? Yeah, the, the additional mental health bonus of being like, yeah, I'm actually paying more attention to what I need right now. Yeah, I mean, the average OB visit is under five minutes, but if you go to a midwife, the average visit is 25 minutes. Who wouldn't want to spend more wow. time with their medical provider when they're pregnant and they have lots of questions and they're worried? I, I'm not saying that, that midwives are non-scientific. That's not what I'm saying at all. Midwives can be very, very scientific. It's just a different system of mm -hmm. childbirth and often one that doesn't stress um, drugs or procedures as much. So I, I do think that women are particular, I don't want to say targets, but are a lot of our wellness culture is focused on women's issues. And I believe it's because mm -hmm. a lot of those issues and pains have been traditionally ignored. Yeah, that makes total sense, of course. Yeah. I actually wonder how the pandemic is going to play out with all of this wellness stuff in, you know, Venice and Santa Monica and all the like crystal healers and like, will they survive? Like, are people doing that? But I think there's so much bullshit about COVID anyway that, I, I mean, 100% sure some of these crystal people are going to be protecting against COVID, right? There's, there's, I think there's no way they don't do that. It's yeah. shameful, but they're going to do that because they protect against fucking everything else anyway. So I, I wonder how much pushback there'll be against them. If they're not already doing it, I'd be very, very surprised. As well as you know, scientific misinformation is something that the ruling party in our country <laughs> like right. has as a mainstream platform now. So I think a lot about the, you know, and this is something you know very, very well, Kate, of course, is that, you know, scientific illiteracy is something that is prevalent on both the right and left politically. It seems to be kind of all across the political spectrum, but the type of scientific misinformation or illiteracy or whatever seems to be a little bit different on both sides, right? The right kind of has like climate denial and of course the COVID denial mm -hmm. and anti-mask kind of stuff seems to be more of a right-wing thing. And then on the left, you've got more like the crystal healing and the kind of hippie-ish sort of scientific stuff. Anti-vax seems maybe more evenly distributed Anti-vax, I think, is that handshake, you know, that meme of like coming together in the middle. It's like the anti-science left and the anti-science right. Because yes. for the for the right-wingers, it's the government's putting a substance in my body. Right. They can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Right. It's that medical freedom thing. And for the left-wingers, it's an unnatural, you know, substance. It's chemicals. Yes. Right. And that's going to be really, really interesting to see how that plays out with covid yeah, I've been thinking about that constantly with the vaccines of like, oh, dear God. Well, coupled with the fact that we can't trust our government right now yeah. to give us accurate information, right? So it's not just the anti-vaccine people. I, what I'm saying has been said many, many times before by people much smarter than I, but it's not just that we have people that don't trust vaccines. We have people like me, and I don't want to speak for you two, but, you know, I certainly trust vaccines, but I do not trust that we have a politically neutral scientific body left in our government. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. It's a public health fiasco. I mean, it, it's just a tragedy. And that to me is the saddest part is that we are losing faith in institutions left and right, whether it is our media institutions, whether it is our scientific institutions. Once we lose that, it takes a long time to get it back. Yes. And no matter who wins, 
the election in November, I think there's a bit of a feeling that, oh, if Biden wins, suddenly everything will be fine. And that could not be further from the truth. Like, like you know, that, that'll be a good step for sure for many, many things. But this is not a problem. I have this fantasy of like, you know, like the end of a horror movie where like they kill the lead zombie and everybody like just lifts their heads on the street and looks around like, where the fuck have I been for the past five years? And that's kind of what I want to happen. I don't think that obviously is a, it's magical thinking. It's wishful thinking. But that, that, that movie scene where everyone is just like, whoa, your aunt in Arizona is going to come back to life and like drop her Facebook racism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I have a tattoo that's like that exact moment from uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of uh, Sally driving away laughing in the back of a pickup truck. It's, I know that feeling well, like, yeah, (laughs) that feeling 2020. (laughs) Yeah. This seems like a good time to move on to one of our few segments. What do you think, Layden? Yes. You should introduce (laughs) it. You should introduce the segment that you love so much. Okay. So, Kate, we don't do many segments. Most of the podcasts, as you know, it's just chatting. But one of our segments is, uh, it's a pop culture recommendation segment. And I think this may be the least pop culture-y episode we have ever done in the history of this podcast, except until Layton said Texas Chainsaw Massacre, (laughs) which happens pretty regularly. Classic Layton. I don't think we've even really mentioned pop culture stuff recently. I've also been very quiet this episode because both of you are very smart and know more about this shit. And I've just been listening intently as if I'm listening to someone else's podcast and I'm forgetting that I am also a part of this podcast. I, I do want to just remind you that you are also very smart. We just happen to be talking about, you know, a thing that Kate and I, you know, science stuff. I'm not saying that I'm not smart. I'm well, just, I'm just, it's I'm just, I, Brian, I really appreciate it. Now do the bit that's going to make me mad at you. No, no. In order to make you matter, I'm going to say nice things about you first, and then I'm going to do the thing that you don't like. Uh, so I think, Leighton, I think you're brilliant. I think you're amazing. It, you are. It's just a joy to do this podcast with you. So uh, if you get mad at the bit I'm about to do, it's really on you. So I just want to establish that up front. Anyway, Kate, this is the pop culture recommendation segment of the podcast. We talk about something in pop culture that we like. Could be anything, book, movie, music. It doesn't matter. The, the real joy of this segment is yes it's the recommendations but it's more so the theme song for the recommendations uh so what i'm gonna play for you right now is the what's poppin theme song and i I want after you hear it just to get your unvarnished reaction to it It can be anything i won't take it personally uh you're gonna love it but if you don't that's fine too so here's the theme song i'm gonna play it right now what's poppin What's poppin'? All right. So, what did you think? There was no theme song. God damn it. Okay. So, the bit failed again. (laughs) The joy here is that this is the first time we've ever been able to actually play the theme song for a guest. And you simply chose not to. And I simply chose not to. (laughs) This was suspenseful for me. So, important context for people who do not give us money on Patreon. Thank you for giving us money on Patreon. I'm sorry that you give us money on Patreon. For people who don't and have not heard this week's mini-sode, we upgraded our Zencaster, which is what we use to remotely record this podcast. And as part of that, we now have access to a soundboard, which is potentially the death knell of this podcast. The first time ever. Yes. Or you can upload your own custom sounds. Yes. And I'm Brian, I am surprised that it's taken you this long. Like the restraint, honestly, I'm impressed. 
Okay. Um, yeah, that's, I'm glad you didn't start using it earlier. But now we can actually play the theme songs for the segment on this podcast. So everybody hears it. Not everyone has access to the soundboard, which I honestly think is equivalent of a war crime that Brian is the only one who's allowed to use it. Who made that decision? It feels pretty unilateral. Well, it's just the way the platform works because I control the recording. I thought Layton would have access to it too. As I said earlier, it's your podcast. I push back on that. This is our podcast, but okay, fine. Uh, it's certainly my soundboard. Anyway, so as we were discussing on this mini-sode, my suggestion for how to make this bit stop sucking ass is that now we have the ability to play the song. And I think what's funnier is if sometimes we play the song and sometimes we don't play the song, and then everyone's in suspense about how it's going to go down. Right? I, I think it's funnier to never play the song and then see if people... <laughs> see how people react because sometimes and I, you know the thing is it's always my fault i never do a good job of setting it up as you're definitely not going to hear anything so this is not on you kate i want to be very very clear this is uh purely an act of aggression it's the most aggro yeah yes, it really is uncool it's the most uncool thing i could do well i'm just gonna assume that there's always tech difficulties i'll take it on myself i'll start apologizing that i didn't hear it correctly I would do 100% the same thing if I were in your shoes. Absolutely, I would do that. So I guess maybe I need to set it up so that like, we never have tech difficulties with this. Maybe I need to say that. I'm, t I'm still <laughs> tweaking it a little bit. Anyway, the theme song is really good, and listeners already heard it. So, uh, Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me is it's a thing that I think I've recommended before. It's not a new thing for me, but I've just been doing a little bit of a rewatch spree this week of movies that I like because my brain needs it for nourishment. And I don't think I can actually parse any new information at the moment just because it's everything all the time, brain tumbling down a hill very fast. But I rewatched Funny Games 2007 with our good friend Allie, um, who had never seen it before. So it was a true delight to watch her react to that extremely fucked up movie in real time. That's not the one that I'm recommending, even though I recommend it. The one I recommend is, if anyone has still not seen Basic Instinct, I'm going to need you to watch Basic Instinct. Sharon Stone is everything. So I don't even have much to say about it. It's just like, hey, do you like just very intense piano, violin, constant soundtrack, Sharon Stone being just hot as hell bisexual icon and being very horned for Michael Douglas for some inexplicable reason? I mean, it's great. doesn't get any better. Have you seen Basic Instinct, Kate? Uh, not in many, many years, but now this makes me want to go back and rewatch it as like a full adult. I've never seen it. It came out when I was, I guess, like a junior or senior in high school, and I didn't see it then. Look, there's, there are several <laughs> movies I'm not going to make my parents take me to go see, and that is definitely on that list. Yeah, one that is 90% sex scenes, sex yeah. scenes that Paul Verhoeven had to storyboard to get the, <laughs> so he wouldn't yeah. have to explain, and like, and then they're in this position, and then they're in this position to executives, like, straight up. Yeah. No, thank you. I want to buy the used sex scene storyboards from Basic Instinct, if anybody has a hookup. They're called sex boards. <laughs> sex boards, yeah. <laughs> That's what's popping for me, just... God bless Sharon Stone, national treasure. Kate, what's popping? Well, what's popping for me is the virtual magic show from the Magic Castle on Saturday nights. What? Ooh. What? I didn't know about this. I don't think 
anyone knows about this, can I tell you the beauty of this show? Okay, so the Magic Castle, I'm assuming listeners know, is the Private Magicians Club in Los Angeles. It is very hard to get into the Magic Castle. Usually you have to have tickets, you have to eat dinner, like it's a whole thing. But during COVID, Saturday nights at 7 p.m. for $20, you (gasps) can have an hour and 15 minute magic show in the comfort of your home with your children present. And everyone can join in and enjoy these magic shows. There are usually about 200 to 300 people on the Zoom call. Often it is old Jewish couples in LA arguing with each other, (laughs) which is magnificent. And (laughs) we have been tuning in every Saturday night for just an hour of pure delight and comfort. Oh my God. Um, And... The magic is usually amazing. Sometimes it's so-so. Sometimes the Zoom cuts out. There was one magician who was performing in Spain. His call dropped, and then we saw a lot of things happen. (laughs) That was also (laughs) so interesting from a sociological point of view. Um, Yeah. It's it's delightful. It is fun. It is lovely. It is only $20. Go do it. That sounds great. I love the Magic Castle. We've probably been, I don't know, five or six times, maybe not even that. And it's just the absolute best. And actually, a couple of years ago, normally kids can't get in, right? But on Sunday brunch, kids can get in. So I took Audrey by myself at Halloween when they decked the whole place out. And the theme that year was Alien Invasion. And so they have these giant, like, inflatable aliens all over the place. And it was... She... And this, you know how kids' brains work. Like, they don't remember a lot. She, and this was probably, this was at least two years ago, possibly three. She still talks about it as, you know, a thing she loves. And occasionally, I remember about, it's probably about six months ago, just out of nowhere, she goes, Daddy, can we go back to the castle that is magic? Which I thought was really cute. <laughs> this stuck with her so strongly because of all the cool stuff that's just around there. You know, the phone booth, the skeleton in it and all that stuff. Well, exactly. It's what you want life to be like when you're a kid. Like everything has a another dimension to it. Like everything is magic. Everything is possible. The Magic Castle is a very, very special place. And I truly hope that it survives this crisis because um, oh, yeah. it's suffering right now. So if you can, you know, buy a ticket to their Saturday show, uh, toss them 20 bucks, you know, help. I'm going to do it now. Yeah, I've, I've never been. I'm sure Audrey would probably love watching that happen. Yeah. Also, I think Rachel and I would love watching it happen without Audrey even more. So <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you can watch it from the comfort of your own bed. I mean, can't get better than yeah. that. Brian. Does anyone have... There we go. Yeah. Were you going to ask for somebody to ask you what's popping? I was, of course. This is like, you you know, you invite the vampire into your home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Brian, what's popping? Uh, what is popping for me is in advance of the season four premiere, I've been rewatching Fargo, the TV series. Have you two seen that? Mm. I've seen a little bit of the first season. I have not. I love it. It is fantastic. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. And especially in season one. So season one essentially kind of takes the vibe of the movie Fargo and in, and also broadly speaking plot points from it. But it's it's kind of a series set in the Coen Brothers like universe. There's a direct connection between season one of Fargo, the TV series, and Fargo, the movie. But it hides all these little references to stuff from Coen Brothers movies and just kind of general stylistic touches. It's got incredible character actors. In season one, Martin Freeman plays, you know, a Minnesota guy named Lester Nygaard. And he's just 
the best. Billy Bob Thornton's in it. He's this incarnation of pure evil. I really, really love the the series. So I just finished season two. I'm watching, going to watch season three uh, soon, and season four just started. So I, I I cannot recommend it highly enough. There might be a little bit diminishing returns as the seasons go on, but I think season one is just a uniformly fantastic season of television. And also, I'm married to a Minnesotan, and <laughs> we watched season one together back when it came out. Um, Rachel has, uh, she, she reacts when accents aren't done well, let's just say. Uh, generally these accents are, are done very well, but, uh, I also, you know, I have a personal connection to Minnesota and have been many, many, many times to visit Rachel's family. So part of it also feels like, oh yeah, I recognize that, you know, I recognize those accents. I recognize that vibe. I love Minnesota. It's a fantastic place. And watching these like, you know, wonderful character actors in a place I, I love has been, it's, it's really, really fun. Plus it's just like kind of a love letter to all the Coen brothers stuff. Uh, I very much appreciate a character actor playground. Like, thank you, Coen Brothers, for just enabling this constantly. Were the Coen Brothers actually involved in the TV show? I don't think so. I could be wrong about this, but I don't think they're even like executive producers. I think they kind of just let Noah Hawley do his thing, which is pretty great. Yeah. But it's very clear that this is made by someone who loves the Coen Brothers stuff and deeply gets it. I was actually looking for something like this online and I couldn't find it. There are just clear homages to particular moments in Coen Brothers uh, films. Something in season two I was just watching is an obvious homage to the end of Raising Arizona. Raising Mm. Arizona may be my favorite movie. I cannot watch that film enough. It is just joy start to finish. The absolute best. Have you seen Raising Arizona? It is amazing. I love that movie. Yes. I watched it when I was a little bit smaller brained than I am now. So I don't think I appreciated it as much as I probably would at this point in time. I remember seeing that in the theater when it came out, when I don't even know how old I was, probably seventh or eighth grade or something. And that opening sequence where it's set over this kind of like banjo music and there's yodeling until it builds up to the title is, it's just this incredible movie making sequence. It just brings me so much joy whenever I see it. I was just thinking about it because I was watching Fargo. I was like, I got to see the Raising Arizona opening again. And every time I watch it with Nick Cage and Holly Hunter and, you know, John Goodman and all these people, uh, it's just so, so great. Also, I love the music from Raising Arizona, the banjo yodel, the theme is just excited thinking about it. (laughs) All right. Deeply sweet. Yes. Wholesome. Also, Minnesota. Two thumbs up. Go to Minnesota if you haven't been. It's it's pretty great. Go to Minnesota. Don't go to Pennsylvania, says Brian Wecht, 2020. Yes, that's right. Yeah. All right. Next segment. This is our final segment. Final of two. You know, we have the 60 minutes of bullshit and then 20 minutes of two segments. Uh, and this segment is called <laughs> Peaches and Lemons, which because most of this podcast has taken place during the Rona, uh, we don't do lemons, but it's a gratitude exercise in which we each share three things that we're excited about, grateful for, you know, good things that happen. They can be as petty or as, you know, vague or profound as as you want. It doesn't really matter. It's just a nice little thing to do. Um, and we'll each go around and we'll share three peaches and no lemons. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. Brian, you go first. Okay. My first peach is, uh, so I made a little kind of technical update uh, in my life this week. Uh, It's not really a big thing, but it's something I've been meaning to do for a while. And that is get a soundboard. 
It doesn't have much on it, though. <laughs> Basically, just that drum hit in the ballpark organ. We should add a tier to Patreon for like 50 bucks a month. It's like, for 50 bucks a month, you can buy Brian's silence. <laughs> so if anybody would like to fall on that sword, please, God. Don't do it. Actually, that's a good tier. They can add a sound effect to the board, and then we'll use it on an episode, presuming that it's not offensive or horrible or something. Uh, so yeah, very excited about my soundboard. I will add more than two sounds to it eventually. Yeah, and you should just not tell me about them. Just pull them out whenever. Oh no, believe me, I won't. Excellent. <laughs> if, if there's a way I can genuinely make someone mad, I, I, I will try to do it. All right, so that's that's my first peach. The next peach is that we are done. We have a Ninja Sex Party album coming out in about two weeks, and we announced it officially yesterday, and we have finished signing the CDs. Congratulations. Woohoo! Thank you. We pushed to get this thing done because, quite frankly, we didn't want to put it out anywhere near the election. And uh, <laughs> it was like, you know, we, we determined that October 16th was the latest we could put it out and still feel good about not being like, hey, the world's going to shit, buy my CD, which we're kind of doing anyway, of course. But, you know, we have to do our jobs. Sure, but people also need a good soundtrack for the world's going to shit. Yeah, like a soundboard. <laughs> I take back my joke that I made in good faith. <laughs> no, but that is true. If I want to be very self-serving, I can say people need comedy, people need to laugh, whatever. But also my family needs food and shelter. So the <laughs> CD allows me to pay for that. So we had we had to put something out this year. We didn't rush anything like, you know, all the audio production and certainly we spent more than a year doing. But it's nice that it is going to happen. Like we got all the CDs printed. We signed them all. And until you're actually done with it, you're never sure if it's going to happen. But it is happening. And so that's very exciting. Uh, and I do I do genuinely love the album. My final peach is that this morning, Audrey spent several minutes trying to figure out how to say PB and J. Uh, and because she has not been a peanut butter and jelly kid basically ever, she hasn't liked it until we've recently found these PB and J like dipping sticks from Trader Joe's. And she woke me up this morning after Rachel had already been up and had given her breakfast. And she was like, daddy, guess what I had for breakfast? I could smell peanut butter on her breath. <laughs> and so I said, oh, you had those sticks? And she said, yeah, I had those PK and I had those P, PJ, P, P, peanut butter, P, P, T. And I was just like, I'm going to let this ride and see where she gets. And it was a real joy. She got there eventually. Peanut butter, P, B, and P, B, and A, no, peanut butter, and it was, oh, it was a real parenting fun moment. That's the title of the episode. Just P, dot, 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 B, yeah. <laughs> peanut. <laughs> it's just, you know, little kid brain working, trying to figure out the world. And you know how they work. Basically, they're just constantly driving off cliffs. Right, exactly. And then hoping to steer the car at the last minute. And you can see it happening like in real time, which is just beautiful. Real time. All the time. And I had this realization, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago that 90% of parenting, once they get beyond real little kid stage, is watching your kids just cell phone because you know there's nothing you could do about it and they wouldn't <laughs> listen anyway. So 
you're just you're watching them drive towards a cliff and you're like, well, I guess this is happening. Like they'll speed up if you say anything to them. So that's that was PB and J. It was just a fun little ride. <laughs> All right, Kate, what are your peaches? My first peach is that there was a baby orca born this week. So I didn't know about this. There have been two babies born to the resident pod up here this summer, and it is absolutely incredible. The population of orcas is declining because they don't have enough Chinook salmon to eat. That's 81% of their diet. And two years ago, an orca J35, I believe, gave birth to a stillborn and carried the carcass for over a week until it was literally disintegrating. And it just like people ascribed so many feelings to her struggle. And it was probably because she was so skinny that, you know, the, the baby was not viable. So that same mama gave birth this summer to a healthy baby boy. And a second orca in the pod just gave birth to another baby. So it's incredibly exciting to see. We haven't seen the, the babies, but we've seen the whales up here. And I can tell you like the moment of recognition of watching these giant mammals um, thrive in their habitat and knowing that their lifespans are like 105 years at, at max, they have seen more and will see more than us. And this is whatever we're going through is a blip to them. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a really beautiful peach. That's a succulent little peach. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for cheapening it. It's a bit of joy. It's a peachy bit of joy. Um, all right, second peach, uh, watched the movie Evolution, the 2001 oh. Ivan Reitman film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was a romp. <laughs> Julianne Moore, David Duchovny. She's great in that. I remember she's really clumsy, <laughs> yes. right? Is that right? Which yeah. Julianne Moore, she requested, she put that in herself. That was not the way the character was written. Like she came up with the fact that that her, her scientist thing was that she was super clumsy and always falling down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which I just love. Like, you're fucking Julianne Moore. Like, you can do anything. And like, you know, this is a, an absurdist comedy about asteroid hitting the Earth and it has life in it and the life begins evolving really, really quickly. And eventually they have to use anti-dandruff shampoo to save Yes, the world. because of, <laughs> wait, selenium? Yes! Am I ruining that correctly? Yes, okay, great. Arsenic is to carbon-based life as selenium is to... Silicon. Yeah, whatever the molecule is that this life is. I think it's silicon. Silicon-based right? yeah. life, yeah. I remember. I saw that in the theaters. Wow. A long time ago. 2001. Uh, it's got so many people I love in it. David Duchovny, Julianne Moore, Ivan Reitman directed. Yep. Uh, it's got uh, Orlando Jones. Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd's in it. Orlando Jones, who I really Ty like. Ty Burrell, who was a nobody yes. at that point. Uh, very wow. early Ethan Suplee uh, from My Name is Earl, I believe bunch of other comedy types. I haven't seen it in years, but at the time I remember thinking it, it was fun and it had some cool like creatures. Yes. And just so silly. So silly. Kate, uh, what prompted you to choose that out of the watch pile? Um, I had turned on the TV and caught 10 minutes of it promptly turned it off because I'm in this marriage where like, I, I, I can't really consume pop culture without my spouse. And so I was like, wait, wait, this seems really good. <laughs> I'm going to save this for Saturday night. <laughs> and so 
that's what I did. I turned it off because I, I couldn't, uh, you know, dirty myself by, by watching too much of it because I could tell that it was something my husband was really going to enjoy and he wasn't around right then. So we saved it for a Saturday <laughs> night and it was everything I wanted it to be. That's great. <laughs> um, and the third peach is banana slugs on walks. Oh, do you see them? So many. So we're living on this island and it oh. just appears to be, I don't want to use the word infested, but there oh. are slugs everywhere we took a walk a 42 slug walk <laughs> wow the biggest banana slug i've seen is like six inches long i just i like to keep track of things and so i've been like doing measurements of different banana slugs at different times of the year and and uh, after it rains here there is just a plethora of slugs and they're so interesting to watch <laughs> that's awesome yeah wow i haven't seen a slug in years this, this is a distinct, like, lack in my life. Yeah, I haven't either. Rachel did get Audrey a, like, snail habitat, and now we need to find snails. <laughs> so I have to go, like, <laughs> land snail hunting. But I don't really know, you know, during the dry season in L.A. is not a good time to go snail hunting. So here's my question. Where do they go during the dry season? Do they just shrivel up? I, I was just reading about this. Yes, they kind of shrivel up and conserve water, and then, like, you know, obviously they bury themselves in the ground. And they kind of shrivel up for a bit. And then they, when the water gets, by the way, if this is totally wrong, I apologize. But this is what I remember reading. The snail community is really going to come after us for this. Snail Twitter is just all over this. That's definitely a thing, right? <laughs> snail Twitter has to be. If it is, I need to follow every single person on it. I got to love snails. Oh, I'm so jealous of those banana slugs. I love a good banana slug. And they're, they're like, how long are they? Like four or five inches? Oh, the biggest ones are like six inches. I mean, they're like terrifying. Like uh, if they moved yeah. quickly, they would be super scary. But because they move, you know, at a slug's pace, they're, they're, they're manageable. Would you let one crawl on your arm or anything? Or are they too gross? So the thing to do in suburban Seattle middle school, guys, if you weren't in a room with a HEPA filter on, was to lick a slug because they have a slight neurotoxin. <laughs> they make your tongue tingle. And then if you kiss someone, your tongue is tingly. People did this. This was literally the cool thing to do where I grew up was to lick slugs. Uh, so I've had, you know, intimate experiences with slugs. Uh, I, I don't think I'd let it crawl on me, but I've definitely held them before and, and touched their slime. Wait, you, you'd, you'd lick a slug, but you wouldn't let one crawl on you? <laughs> Just to be clear that that's what you're saying? The licking was more for the cool effect, like that like tingly feeling. Okay, but that's a true, what I said is correct. Yes. You would lick a slug, but you, okay, great. Yes. And people would lick slugs and kiss each other? Is that? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was a thing where I grew up. Wow. That's incredible. I fucking love that. I, I really can't stress how much that just like tickles me. In New Jersey, the equivalent of that was daring each other to play on the playground that had uh, radioactive waste buried <laughs> underneath it. They don't call it a super fun site for anything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I guess the North Carolina equivalent was my mom taking me to feed gators in a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yeah. That's cool. Layton, what are your peaches? Peach number one is like last month I found this app just like on a whim called Slowly. It's a staggered like pen pal app where it, you you know you put an interest and it matches you with somebody across the world and like you send them a letter but there's like a minimum character limit so it has to be long and then it takes like three days or more to send and then for you to get it. So it feels very traditional pen pally. I was sort of expecting it to be people being dicks or actually seeing dicks. 
and no, like I, I've made a couple of like nice friends who I'm really enjoying uh, writing back and forth with. So Barack, Adi, Jamshad, shout out. You're all really cool. Aww, That's awesome. That is so wholesome. Yeah, it's really sweet. Jamshad is from India and like works as like a forest conservator, I guess. And it's a forest that's like known for having a ton of elephants. And so they're there to like protect the elephants and also like the local tribe. And they're just cool as hell stuff. And they're all very sweet. So yeah, I'm, I need to set aside some time to write some letters today. And that will be nice. My second peach is yet another week of me mechanical keyboards. I will not stop by my silence. You can get keycap sets, which exist. They're plastic. They're, you know, it's the full set. You get all your numbers and keys and whatnot. Or you can pay a lot of money and get special artisan keycaps, which are like, they can be polymer clay or like resin poured or even metal and they have cool shit in them and they're really expensive. I ordered a bunch of supplies to make my own and I'm going to make my own. That's the buildup. I'm going to make my own mechanical keycaps. So this is something that goes on top of your laptop or is it the whole separate situation? It's not for laptops. It's for um, mechanical keyboards. So they're the big chunky, you know, they click when you type on them. And so there's a whole... Oh, just expensive and stupid hobby of collecting and building mechanical keyboards because there are a variety of different types of switches, which are the, you know, things that you are pressing down to touch mm-hmm. the circuit board. And then keycaps and it's a bunch of different sounds and colors. And I have a big old split keyboard, so it's in two halves and it's all weird looking. Anyway, it's a very deep hobby hole. But I, I have a lot of ideas for keycaps that I want to make, and I would like to sell them on Etsy because that sounds fun to me. Such a great idea. Wow. Thank you. But yeah, I, I've been watching a ton of like resin pour stuff because that's what I'm going to do it with and like how to make your own like silicone molds and stuff. So I'm just going to go ham on it. Every, everybody in my life, you're about to have an embarrassment of resin shit because <laughs> I'm just going to give it away like candy because I don't need more objects. And then my third peach. I definitely wrote it down. Oh, yeah. So friend of the show, my writing partner, Vernon, lives down the street from me and he has a garage where we hang out with our dogs sometimes. And I harassed him for a little while of like, we should get into throwing knives. And lo and behold, (laughs) he got a big old thing of plywood or, you know, some fat wood and a set of throwing knives. And so we were throwing knives the other night. And that is some hashtag satisfying shit that is way harder than it looks because you're like, oh, I'll just throw the knife. And then, you know, you throw six of them, they all hit the front of the board like on its side and then bounce back at you. And you're like, I'm going to get grievously injured doing this. But it's one of those things where it's like, if I get injured, this is the most badass injury I could possibly have. Like, oh, this, no, no big deal. I just got it throwing knives. I'm not good at it. What kind of knives? Throwing knives. What, what is a throwing knife? What, what kind of knife is that? Google throwing knife. There's only one kind of throwing knife? Well, I mean, there's more than one kind, but it, it's a very specific look because it's about like the spin on it and like the weight. I see. Can you use them as a knife? Like if you just need a knife also? You could. They're not like really sharpened for that. The thing that helped me get it a little bit more is that it's the closest to like throwing darts. Huh. Of like, you have to really get into the like, aim of getting the tip to hit and like we're not advanced knife throwing yet so it's like no spins or whatever it's just sort of like okay i'm gonna chuck it it's gonna hit the board and it's gonna be very satisfying i think this may be the most on-brand thing you've ever done this peaches and lemons you talked about writing mechanical keyboards and knives and got him that is you in a nutshell oh i put myself in a box i live in this box baby (laughs) so yeah those are my three peaches wow i love it 
And now I'm looking at throwing knives and I would like to purchase throwing knives. These are they're definitely cool looking. I was just looking at, uh, yeah, there's like one of the questions is best throwing knives for beginners. Because once you're advanced, I assume you, you graduate to different types of knives. Yeah, it, it's making me want to get back into doing butterfly knife tricks because uh, that's a thing that I have dabbled in, unfortunately. This is another thing that as someone who lives with a small child, I'm like, <laughs> nope, sorry. I do not need further ways for my daughter to grievously injure herself. Listen, even with two adults, it's like, this is pretty <laughs> sus. Yeah. Kate, this was awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was a delight. This was so much fun. Thank you both. Leighton, it's been so great to chat with you. And, and Brian, as always, I treasure your thoughts and feelings. And it's so much fun to hang out. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a pleasure to know you and now to hang out with our families. And I'm very excited for you guys to come back. And hopefully we'll see you when you're back in town. For sure. Where can people find you online? My Twitter, Kate Gammon. I post my articles there. You can find my website, katherinegammon.com. And I'm on Instagram too, but it's mostly just pictures of my kids like picking up stuff in the woods. So <laughs> we love it because I show it to Audrey all the time. I'm like, look what they just found. <laughs> they found this. You know, it's it's really, really fun. Especially you have two like fun, cute kids who keep picking up little animals and stuff. Until somebody gets, as you say, grievously injured. Uh, I can't stop them from picking stuff up. <laughs> But you also write for a, a wide variety. I mean, you're a freelancer. You write for a lot of different outlets, right? Oh, yeah. I guess I haven't like said that part. Yeah, I write for the New York Times. I write for The Guardian. I write for The Atlantic. You will see my work in many different newspapers and magazines across the world. Yep. Cool. Well, this was great. Thank you both. Uh, Leighton, any final thoughts? Folks, if you have ideas for things that we should put on the accursed soundboard, please do let us know. Or maybe just directly hit Brian with it. So I don't know. I don't I don't want any part of this. I don't I don't want it. <laughs> I hope you all are well, staying safe. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't take too much NyQuil because no food in your home will be safe. We love you. This is the end of the podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Fuck. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.